listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about spiritual battle during Lent. We hear a reflection on the attachments and the easy yoke, and we listen to a poem by Luke Hansen, Bless Us, O Lord. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Another episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me as always... Father Steve. How you doing, Father? I'm doing well. You know, last time I kind of surprised you with talk about football, but this time I'll go back to weather. How do you? How are you enjoying the weather? Well, I, I, and I understand why you want to talk about yeah. weather. <laughs> the weather is uh, Michigan, okay? It's, let's you, just say that. I mean, it's, it's warmer than typical, but gray as always. You know what this is? This is, Maureen and I started harvesting maple syrup a few years ago. This is perfect maple syrup weather. You want the days to be above freezing, and you want the nights to be below freezing, and you want a lot of moisture because that creates the water for the, the tree to suck up. So, are, so you, are you telling me that we all have to have no sunshine for your maple at syrup? Least for a couple, at least for a couple months in January and February. That's all A I'm couple of for. months? Yeah. I think we've already had at least one month. But the syrup is so good. It was too cold earlier. Now it's the right, again. Well, well I'm happy for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to offer it up. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll have you over for some waffles and... Homemade maple syrup. I will take you up on it. All right. We'll have, we'll have to make it happen. So we're recording this during Catholic Schools Week. We yeah. had a great celebration of that. Uh, we had Holy Hour this afternoon uh, with the students and their families. It was, it was great. Or Holy Half Hour, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, just such, a, such an edifying thing to hear these children sing. Yeah. Uh, Gwen Norman uh, just does a great job does, of playing yeah. and leading, and the kids respond. Christy Gulak does a great job as well, and, and the kids sing. If you go to a lot of other schools, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's been my experience that it is unusual to have, especially middle school students sing. Mm-hmm, and that, mm-hmm. it happens here, not perfectly well. I sure. mean, I was a middle school student yeah. myself. But Voices that, are changing. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, that, uh, it, it was really uh, edifying to me to hear them sing. Yeah, I've appreciated as a parent um, the different things that my children are learning, like uh, recently uh, during the Advent season, my, my, my son and daughter were learning the Alma Redemptoris Mater. Mm. And so, uh, so we said, okay, well, we'll sing it at night before bed, you know, as a family. And they were all happy they could lead the family because they learned the words. Exactly. And, and it was, uh, it was, it was, it became edifying for the whole family because they were learning it at school. So it's, it's very interesting. Uh, at some seminaries, not my seminary, uh, that was a, we, we, we sang the Salve and the Regina Chaley. That's mm-hmm. basically the only ones we did. Yeah. What's the one we'll get right after presentation? Do you remember? Redemptoris Mater? No. No, I think after presentation, it goes back to Salve, Salve. until Lent, and then I'm blanking out which what, what the fourth one is. Okay. 
Anyways, there's four of them. There are four of them. <laughs> and we've been using those at the end of Mass. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's, been, that's been great, uh, that tradition of... Uh, well, of we just have this treasury mm-hmm. of, of little things like that, where little hymns or little prayers... Um, St. Michael prayer, things like this that well, have been around. One of the things I for, talked about last yeah. week, uh, we're recording this uh, on the 1st. Tomorrow will be uh, Candlemas or the Feast of the Presentation. And uh, a week ago, uh, I preached about uh, spiritual warfare and mm-hmm. the power and the importance of praying the Angelus, yeah. which is a very simple, mm-hmm. uh, I said it was shorter than three minutes, it's probably shorter than two minutes, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. It's just talking about the mystery. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's scripture, you know? It is. Uh, and it's just re- recalling to mind, what, you know, I was just reflecting on this with my wife the other day that uh, we need to take more appreciation for, for the incarnation because this is the moment in which the unity of God and man actually happens. And it took us... It took us Four and a half centuries to figure out what it actually meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was it was a fact before time began. Right, uh-huh. it was going to happen. He was going to become incarnate, mm-hmm. but it happened in time because Mary said yes. Yeah, and so this, you know, every every all the little things about the mysteries of our faith, like what happens in the sacraments, the unity of man and God happens. Like right. I, I get divine life in my soul of baptism. I receive communion. Well, when did that first happen? It happened right. at the incarnation. Well, and every sacrament has a physical aspect to it, mm-hmm. right? That that uh, that sense of uh, so there's a form and a matter. And uh, let's see, is matrimony what's the 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 matter is the bride and groom themselves. The form is their consent. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it takes a man and a woman to say yes mm-hmm. and uh, to do that before. And they have to do, and they have to say yes legitimately. <laughs> Freely and legitimately. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so speaking of Catholic Schools Week, we started this week with, I think, uh, I'll just say it, a little a homily that maybe some of us uh, were not expecting. Uh, I mean, it and totally fit. perhaps fi- even the pastor was not <laughs> expecting. It totally yeah. fit the, yeah. uh, the readings. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure people are trying to strain, what was that homily about two weeks ago? Um, but it was, you preached to us about spiritual warfare and uh, the so ways... So just the gospel was uh, Jesus... Casting out demons. De- casting out demons. Yeah. Right? And so the ways that uh, maybe not, you know, exorcism, you know, level possession, but different ways in which the devil tries to make a... a Inroads. Uh, inroads into our into our lives and to our homes and um, and I think you had some things that say that maybe uh, shocked and surprised people you know like uh, the the ways in which the devil tries to maybe get gain access into our lives yeah it's it's that perimeter prayer mm-hmm. which uh, I prayed uh, at least at some of the masses I didn't do that at all of the masses it's it's so interesting talking about all of the pathways, talking about power lines and sewer lines, that the enemy uses access points that we use. There's a certain kind of envy of our incarnation. Mm-hmm. We we're talking about that. So there, there's a sense in which any portal can be accessed by the enemy. And so when I bless a home, I'll bless those. Even a door that's been sealed up, I'll bless that mm. or an a, attic. And 
I don't share this, as I said, on that Sunday in that homily to make people afraid, but to say what we're doing is we're taking authority over any potential misuse of this space by the enemy of our souls. Yeah, um, because uh, when we sin, we give the devil access. And so if certain sins are committed in in a space, in a home, um, maybe it was before you lived there. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with the people that are living there now, but the devil then is given authority over that space. And so that needs to be rebuked and, and authority taken over. I thought it was it was um, timely because we had just had the Feast of the Epiphany. That's right. And uh, we were given chalk uh, to bless the doors of our, our homes. Uh, so we, we, did, we, we did that in our house. We, we brought the kids and we did the chalking of the doors yeah. and... And, you know, uh, walk through the home and blessed all the rooms in the home. And, and, and it's, it's really important uh, where there is uh, a father and a husband as head of the household that he is involved in that. Mm-hmm. And obviously you and Maureen were both involved in mm-hmm. that. But there is something about if, if uh, you're in a single parent household, whoever's the head of the household should do that. But there is a, a, an authority that the husband and father has over the household that is really vital. And I'm actually going to be talking about this on uh, February 24th, which will be a Saturday. It's a morning of recollection for the men of the parish, just engaging the spiritual warfare. It's not going to be in depth with the prayer prescription that I talked about, but just talking about the role that men have, especially heads of household as husbands and fathers, and how they can engage that spiritual battle. Because it's really, a lot of times... Wives and and, uh, mothers will say they want their husbands to be spiritual leaders, and oftentimes men don't feel adequate to it. They defer to their wives who have, I think, a more natural spiritual sensitivity. But let me encourage you men to take seriously that role and trust that even if in the details your wife and your kids are not happy, the Lord will be pleased and it will bear fruit. I would say to anybody that might feel like they're not adequate to it, that's a lie because the that's a lie from the from the devil because you do not become adequate to, to the task because of any skill or training that you have. You are adequate to the tasks because of who you are. It's an office. Who the Lord has made you to be. That's right. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, St. John Chrysostom, he has a favorite homily of mine where he's preaching on Ephesians 5. That's the, the text where he talks, uh, St. Paul talks. Yeah, and and he, he, he asks the question, why is the husband head of his wife? And he said, is it because the wife is not uh, equal in dignity to him, that she's somehow lesser? Than, and, and he rejects all that. And he said, no. He, he says, because for the sake of the unity of the family... There needs to be one head. If there were two heads, you would have division. And so by virtue of your office as husband and father, you have what you need to to lead. Now, that might take practice. That might take effort. But you never get comfortable in that role unless you begin to act. So have the courage to feel silly or feel unequipped the first few times because you grow into the role very quickly. I mean, even those of us who 
who take that that role um, uh, regularly in our homes. When I first started, I felt awkward. Yeah, you know. But over time, it's something that you just you take in. It's interesting. I was reading even this morning, just this morning, uh, about the dynamics between husband and wives and authority in the household. And when there is evident disharmony and disagreement about issues between the husband and the wife, the evil one gets access Mm. in the hearts of the children. It's very interesting, that lack of harmony. It doesn't mean that, that wives need to entirely defer to their husbands. In fact, they need to appeal to their husbands when Mm -hmm. their husbands, as often is the case, Mm -hmm. are are not being attentive to this or that. But it's kind of behind closed doors, and I'm not saying you can't argue uh, at all. We need to argue. We need to wrestle things through. But there's a sense in which coming out with a unified front for the sake of harmony between the husband and wife, but especially for the children, so that they can't play one parent off against the other. Yeah. Kids are shrewd, and the evil one is most shrewd. That's a classical tactic of children. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, mom said this, so I'll go to dad. And, uh, you know, as a new parent, I made the mistake of just uh, declaring my opinion. (laughs) And now I know, well, what did your mother say? Exactly, exactly right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, that's interesting that that gives access uh, to the heart of the children because um, by nature, just by just simple biology... The child is the combination of his two parents, mm-hmm. and so if there is if there is excessive or sinful, I'll say sinful division between the husband and the wife, yeah, that that uh, introduces division into the children as well. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I mean, I think all of this is not to make people overly afraid, but to be aware that. The choices we make, the things that we say have ramifications. And we can never perfectly get it right. But knowing these principles, which we can learn and apply, basically reading those scriptures about the relationship between husband and wife, the Catholic Church has given us a lot of teachings about how the family is that domestic church, which we talked about the last time. Mm -hmm. And so my brothers and my sisters, let's let the Lord inform and illuminate our hearts and minds that we can more effectively model the church to children uh, at the church level, but also at the individual home level. Yeah, I, I would I would support what you said about like this is not meant for fear or anxiety. Um, it's just a, a call to sobriety. I think I was just I was just reading a commentary on First uh, Peter where. St. Peter warns us about the devil who's prowling around like Mm. a roaring lion. And uh, it was a commentary by St. Cyril of Alexandria, one of the church fathers. And he says, there's, you're either moving forward in the Christian life or you're moving backwards. There's no kind of standing still. And so we, if we, if we stop pressing our advance, we leave ourselves vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. We have to be moving forward. We, and so it's more uh, a call to sobriety than it is fear. Well, and, and I, th- I think part of that prayer prescription that I talked about was doing an examination of conscience, going mm-hmm. to confession. 
realizing that there might be sins that are impeding the grace that I need to live my vocation as a priest or you as a husband and a father, uh, as a son of God working in the church. So for us to be aware that all of these things, to circle back to what we said at the beginning, the church's expectation that we would regularly examine examine our conscience. In fact, to do that every day is an excellent thing, to do that at the end of the day or whenever you are sure to have done it. And to take it seriously, how did I fail to love well God and my neighbor? Yeah, that's one thing. So our daughter just received her first confession, and uh, I, I had the thought recently, oh, I, I actually now I have to teach her to do this nightly, um, to think through her day and to be aware of maybe where she's fallen and, and needs to bring that to the Lord. Um, it's a good habit for everybody to get into it, just take a moment of reflection at the end of the day. And, 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 and the, you know... It, it's so interesting. Sometimes when when kids come to confession, uh, they they're a little tentative. And I'm not talking about those who made their first reconciliation, but to say I might have dot dot dot. And so I'll encourage them. Say, Did you do it? <laughs> right. It's okay to say we're yeah. a sinner, and and that's the thing. It, it isn't. We're not called to get everything in fa- uh, in, impeccably right. We're, we're the Lord longs for us to do that, but we're going to realize at the end of the day when we look, we didn't love as well as we might have. And mm-hmm. to be able to own that and to bring it to the Lord who is more ready to forgive than we are to sin. Yeah. Yeah. And to remember that the the battle is ultimately the Lord's. I'm powerless against Satan. <laughs> like I have, I have no chance to stand up to an angel. Uh, and so I need to... Um, to back off my own ungodly self-reliance as, uh, as we, you know, the St. John Paul II Institute would say, and, uh, and rely on uh, the, the grace and the power that God has, has, has made available to me. And you know, I'll just say that I'm learning in a way that I did not know before that part of the way that we can fight that battle is by rebuking mm-hmm. spirits yeah. that we've given access to. So you have authority over your own body. You as husband and father have authority over the children. And you and Maureen have authority over each other's bodies mm-hmm. because so she can rebuke a demon that might be harassing you. Now, we've got to be careful of that. We're not going to say, I rebuke the spirit of anger, right? This can This can seem a little bit like hocus pocus that, that yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm seeing the devil. Demons are there and we need to recognize if there's a pattern of continued sin to realize, all right, there may be something here. And so in a, in a sober way to say, uh, I rebuke the spirit of anger. Those prayers that we've got against the seven deadly sins are really helpful. Uh, I renounce the sin of angry, anger and, and the idolatry of power control or justice, right? I choose instead. So we can all do that. And to pray those prayers out loud is really important. Yeah. What I found is, um, especially as I've learned more about the healing prayer and have gone to healing prayer myself, you become more sensitive to the movements in your own heart or the movements of the enemy that are trying to... And so Maureen and I have both made it a habit of can you pray over me? Can you pray with me? I think something's going on in, in my heart and I'm not exactly sure what it is. I need prayer. And we'll pray with each other. We'll pray over each other and we'll, we'll speak authority, uh, you know, um, to, to drive out any, uh, 
sometimes it's maybe not even a temptation or a sin. It's just a he's the devil just trying to to well, unbalance you or upset you or anxiety, right? Yeah, and just yeah. to because that's kind of the first step to get you to go to sin is to unsettle you so that you look for security in ungodly ways, right? So. Absolutely, I encourage uh, encourage husbands and wives to pray with one another, to pray over one another, especially when when you've got a sense that maybe hmm, I'm getting angry very easily right now, or I'm getting fearful very easily right now. To 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 go to one another and to be well, vulnerable. And, and how, with much, how much better is that for us to daily be doing that examining? All right, something, something's not right in my heart. And to see the spouse as not one who's going to point the accusing finger, but as one who can help pray for freedom, right? Yeah. Uh, it takes a lot of trust and vulnerability. Absolutely. On both sides, you know. And so it's a practice that you have to work at and, and just in your relationship yeah. uh, as spouses. But uh, if you're both um, committed to helping each other uh, in your journey with the Lord... It's something that you can begin to trust that you can take these things to your spouse. Yeah. So we're we're getting close to this is coming out if if I have it correct uh, on Fat Tuesday. Yeah. All right. February thirteenth. That's right. The day and before the Valentine's day. day. No, Ash Wednesday. <laughs> when we'll, we'll fast and abstain. And uh, but it, I think for us. If I had a recommendation, it would be to maybe tap into some of these resources that the church offers. You mentioned when we were talking beforehand, uh, maybe taking up the liturgy of the hours, maybe mm-hmm. morning prayer and evening prayer or night prayer. You could you could do that relatively easily. I think praying the rosary daily mm-hmm. is a great discipline. Praying the Angelus. Uh, Father Ripperger talks about 6 a.m., noon, 6 p.m. Uh, and if somebody is dealing with demonic position, you know, manifestation, I would recommend what he says is prove that you want to be free. Do it at 6 a.m., noon, and and 6 p.m. But if your family is not up at 6 a.m., pray it when it's convenient, and then try to do noon, and if you can, 6 Mm -hmm. p.m. The Lord is not scrupulous in that way. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not... If it's 6.30, that's fine. And and the the danger is we become almost... uh, superstitious. Yeah. So if I don't pray the prayer exactly right, I, I was talking uh, in that homily uh, the first Sunday of uh, Catholic Schools Week about how the, the enemy knows authority and he knows pronunciation of this and that and, and Latin is... But here's the thing. The Lord loves us and he's calling us into this. It's not going to be some kind of technicality. Sorry, you didn't mm-hmm. pray that exactly at the right time, so I'm not going to hear your prayer. That would be a perverse God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I think what Father Ripperger is saying is, listen, I want you to show that you're disciplined. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to get free of a pattern of sin, do that. Yeah. And now, if you fail, start again. Well, part of it is it's just grace building on nature, right? right? So if, if you want to over, let's say you want to overcome a bad habit, but you've never made any attempt to overcome that bad habit. Well, how do you expect that that's going to happen? Yeah, you say, Lord, I want to be free. Uh, okay. okay, okay, yeah, what, what's the next step? Yeah, so it's like uh, the thing that we can't expect is that we try and we won't ever fail. Like, okay, you want to start saying the Angelus at uh, 6, 12, and, and 6, and the first day you got up and you said it at 6, and then you didn't say it again that day. Well, 
okay, that doesn't, the, there's two things that do, doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you're a failure and it doesn't mean that you're there yet. And so the next day yeah. you get up and you start again. Uh, and I think, um, yeah, we can, we, we can get too hung up on um, our own effort that uh, and and looking for the magic formula, it, it's yeah. almost like magic. And, and so, this is the thing that that I talk about when people are struggling with a pattern of sin. You know, it's much better to fall running uphill than it is downhill. In mm-hmm. other words, I'm struggling. Yeah, at least you get this, a few right? more feet forward well, when you well, fall. Well, and, and you, you, yeah, you're not going to just tumble. Yeah, right. You you might get hurt, but and that's the virtue that the Lord sees in a heart that tries again, pleases him. Mm-hmm. He wants us to be perfect, but he knows we're not. Yeah. So our striving to become perfect pleases him. Yeah, and, the, and we were talking, uh, you already kind of uh, implied it there, um, that unless we've got kind of the basics down of what the Lord is calling us to, the sacraments, you know, uh, going to Mass every going week. Going to Mass every week. You could say a million St. Michael prayers and have all the doors in your house blessed. But if you're not going to mass on Sunday, if you're not going to regular confession, it's worthless. You know, the the you, we have the we have what the church asks of us and and our and our journey to overcome evil and to embrace grace. And those are the sacraments, scripture, daily prayer. If you're not there yet, don't get all worked up about whether or not you're you know, you've got the right blessings or anything. You're like, that's right. You got to get that down because what what happens is we're very prone to this as people, and it's a form of Gnosticism, really. Uh, that I I need that that special prayer, that one thing where, it's, and you see this sometimes in prayer books. If you say this prayer five times, you know, this prayer has never been known to fail. Well, it's like, well, what's what's the point of our prayer? Is it just to like? Treat God like he's a vending machine? Well, and, and that, that's, <clears throat> that gets at Pelagianism. If I just mm-hmm. do things right, it's Gnostic and Pelagian, that sense of I do it exactly right. This These prayers are to free us to love better. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. These disciplines are to free us to, to receive and to give love better. It's about love. It's not about conforming to a certain set of rules, mm-hmm. although the rules can help us yeah. live yeah, the there's, life. There's rules in your relationships. If I go home... Uh, at the end of the day, I know I have to go to my wife and give her a kiss. That is expected uh, because yeah. it's good for us to have that small connection before we go into the you know the rest of our evening uh, with feeding kids and get you know. But we've had that connection, and if I don't, it's not like oh no, we're getting a divorce or something, you know. Uh, but it's it's the extra. It's a little bit extra yeah. onto the basis, basics of everything else that we do in our life that makes our relationship healthy. And one of, the, one of the, <clears throat> the gifts that we have as Catholics is two millennia, uh, nearly two millennia of life lived, mm-hmm. the scriptures themselves. Uh, and what Father Chad Ripperger and I and you yourself are saying is let's live the way the Lord wants us to live with all the graces of yeah. the sacraments mm-hmm. and the light of reason, right? We, we know what is right and what is wrong mm-hmm. and the grace of God uh, and our cooperation allow us to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
Uh, so as we head into Lent, you talked about the what was it, 30-day challenge? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to, I will have already uh, sent this out, and I'll talk a little bit more about it. There'll be some resources for just prayers that families can pray, and it's, you don't have to do every single one of them, but I think it would be a great, if, if, you're, if you're wanting, desiring uh, the Lord to free you from uh, patterns of behavior, let's give this an experimental try, right? Mm-hmm. Let's see what would happen sure. if we pull back from social media, we, we listen to some chant, right? Gregorian chant. I mean, they actually recommend a particular, I, need, I don't know who, who the, the group is, but mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to it myself and see if it's uh, as conducive to my spiritual piece sure. as, as something else might be. But that is, uh, we'll have a, a page on the website. And uh, if you're signed up for our emails, I'll be, I have been, and I will continue to send links to these. Yeah. So and, if it's, you know, if you're hearing this on uh, Ash Wednesday or um, Fat Tuesday or in the first week of af- after Ash Wednesday and you're like me and you're still trying to figure out what you want to do for Lent because you, you waited too long to get that taken care of beforehand, uh, maybe this is something yeah. uh, that you can do during Lent. And uh, let's pray for each other as we journey the, this campaign of 40 days, journeying with Jesus, uh, preparing for the Paschal Mystery. Amen. All right, for another week, this is Rich. And Father Steve. God bless. When we enter into a relationship with God, He wishes to purify us so that we are more capable of receiving His love. In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we reflect on how our attachments to things of this world can prevent us from moving forward in the spiritual life. Attachments and the easy yoke. At the end of chapter 11 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says these words Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's an invitation into a life of rest and confidence in Jesus. However, many of us don't experience life like that. Perhaps you have undertaken the spiritual life, the life of faith, with enthusiasm. Perhaps you have been a Christian all your life. Or maybe you have had a spiritual awakening as an adult, or maybe even you are still waiting for the Lord to reveal himself to you. Whatever may be the case, One of the things that all of us realise is that life on earth is not a bowl of cherries. In our modern world, fear has become a big factor in our day-to-day life. Fear of what other people think, fear of what awaits us in the future, fear of being exposed as a fraud, or a nameless fear of impending doom, fear of financial ruin, fear of losing a reputation, fear of bereavement or death. Somehow our experience doesn't seem to match what Jesus refers to as an easy yoke or a light burden. Instead, many of us experience life as a constant trial of one kind or another, with only transitory respite from our worries every now and then. One of the reasons why we experience this age of anxiety, 
might be because we have placed our trust in things that are passing away. And even when we distract ourselves with entertainments, we find them ultimately empty and short-lived. There are many saints in the church whose lives bear witness to the value of living life free from attachments to the things of this earth, which raises the question for our own lives, what am I attached to? What do I place my hope in? What am I not prepared to give up in order to get into heaven? Do I hunger after a life of ease and financial security? Do I value my relationships with my family members, my children, my grandchildren, my siblings or parents above my relationship with the Lord? Do I depend upon my status to give my life meaning? Do I value what other people think of me above what the Lord thinks of me? Do I find it impossible to relinquish a dependence on food, drink, drugs or whatever else I take into my body? The lives of the saints seem to be, generally, lives of apparent hardship. And yet the saints also seem to have been happier and more vibrant than we appear to be. Our lives may be surrounded with comforts and distractions. The lives of the saints were filled with what looked like difficulties and hardship. And yet it is we who are the needy ones, the ones who can't find the fulfilment we crave. In that passage from Matthew's Gospel, Jesus doesn't say, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will remove your yoke and your burdens. There actually is a yoke and a burden to bear by living life in the world. But when we trust in Jesus, whatever difficulty we encounter becomes relatively easy. Living a life freed from attachments to the things of this world does not mean living a life of misery. We can still take pleasure in the things of this world. It's just that we don't depend on those things for our happiness. Nevertheless, choosing the narrow way and entrusting our future, our finances, our relationships, our employment, our provisions and our self-worth to God is not necessarily an easy prospect to undertake. We are often pulled this way and that by the world and its worries. And so we must renew our commitment to entrusting our lives to God every day, and perhaps even every hour. When we give up those things that we are leaning on for support, and when we relinquish control of our lives and hand it over to God, we will begin to discover where true happiness lies. However, as the imitation of Christ tells us, God does not necessarily rush in to fill the gap made by our detaching ourselves from worldly cares. Here's what the author of that book says. At first you will not gain these blessings without sadness and toil and conflict. Habit already formed will resist you, but it shall be overcome by a better habit. The flesh will murmur against you, but it will be bridled by fervour of spirit. The old serpent will sting and trouble you, but prayer will put him to flight, and by steadfast, useful toil, the way will be closed to him. What this means is that in order to detach ourselves from worldly concerns and worldly comforts, we will probably experience some distress or discomfort initially, because the support we had been leaning on is no longer there. 
It's at that point that many of us may be tempted to give up and go back to trusting our old attachments with all their anxiety, futility and lack of fulfilment. But if we are steadfast in entrusting our lives to God's providence rather than our own strength or in the crutch we habitually lean on, we will find true happiness. Yes, in the world we will still have troubles, but they will appear relatively slight and much easier to navigate with God's help. In other words, our yoke will become easy and our burden light. Jesus is calling us to live a new life, and it's not a life of drudgery and unremitting pain. It's a life of true fulfilment, a life of joy and a life of peace. When we know the Lord is taking care of us, we find the antidote to anxiety and worry. Remember Jesus' comforting words in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Ultimately, the Christian life is not really about how we manage our day-to-day existence. It's about a relationship with a person. When we begin to realise that the God we have given over our lives to loves us deeply and has our best good in mind in all his interactions with us, then we will begin to experience the freedom that was won for us by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, by his resurrection and by the gift of the Holy Spirit. We will step out from the house of cards that constitutes our attachments and the unpredictable and short-lived happiness that the world offers and start to live out the liberating joys of a relationship of trust with the only one who can fulfil our desires and quench our thirst to be known and loved. And of course, we will never be able to rely on God's provision for us unless we spend time getting to know him and immersing ourselves in his love by pursuing a life of daily prayer. Without prayer, we fall back into our old ways of relying on false comforts and will be forever searching for a peace which always seems to be just outside of our grasp. Let's pray and ask God for the grace to surrender our lives completely to him. Lord Jesus, you have told us not to worry about our lives and about what may lie in the future. You have shown us the path to true happiness by putting you first in our lives. Help us to relinquish control to you. Help us to let go of all the things of the world that we are attached to and instead cast our cares upon you and seek you as our only source of joy and comfort. Amen. We finish this episode with a poem by Luke Hansen. Bless us, O Lord. This poem is called Bless Us, O Lord, uh, and it was inspired by 
a phrase from Psalm 128. Speaking about the righteous man, it says, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. And that's uh, a phrase that my wife and I will will throw back and forth sometimes when we're sitting at the dinner table with our children. Just look at these these olive shoots around our table. So um, I wanted to write about that that feeling at the dinner table of, of seeing your children, um, seeing both who you've raised them to be, but then also who they are growing into themselves and uh, the family that they are helping to create with you. Uh, and so I wanted to put both images in there of, of a plant that grows, but then also of uh, a pack of wild birds, which is a lot of times what it sounds like more at our dinner table. Bless us, O Lord. It is good to sit with this chattering nest of chicks, reverberating with the moments jackdaw japes, making magpie with each other's merriment, as we draw the day's tail between laughs, like water from a stuttering pump. We soak their roots as best we can for each pit planted, but had no hand in each new life that shot already green from within, and blessed me with a dinner table surrounded by these olive sprouts. Ringed by these twining vines, it's clear to me, they grow from what I give them, but have groved themselves, a copse of crows, well able to winter any weakness in my tending. Each graft taking sap, making singular fruit, they take each other's company while pecking at their food. They will become what they eat here and grow as tall as I, then someday fly. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelancing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelancing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.